Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, no, no. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we are sharing another interesting figure that we met at the Conscious Life Expo. Yes. And by met, I mean we sat Toward the back of the room. Yeah, yeah, we probably shared some air molecules with Travis McHenry. Were we in the back of the room? I think we were. Picture us at the front of the room. No, we were close to the back because I was having to use the zoom on my phone. Oh, okay. I will always trust your visual memory of the event better than mine. This was a smaller room, probably only fit maybe a, a few dozen people. I don't know, I'd say probably max 40. 50 people yeah, in the room. Yeah, maybe 50. But heretofore, February 10th, 2023, shall be known as the day Travis McHenry entered our lives. Boy, was it uneventful at first. So this was a talk titled, The History of Occult Magic. Yes. And he told us about the history of occult magic. And I was like... <sighs> I thought, this is just a history talk. I'm bored. But then it turned out, no, this is a fascinating character. Yes, character. So even after the talk, if you grabbed us outside, I would have been like, well, that was some interesting information. I, you know, I'll have to look into more because the occult feels like an area that I'd really like to know a lot more about. Uh-huh. And I've got but like you can't because it's hidden knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. That's the definition. And in fact, we will hear the definition of occult many times during this talk. Sure, as you should. But Yeah, because you might forget because it's hidden knowledge. <laughs> I have a lot of books in waiting, you know, that I'd like to read. And it's not like there's any reason why I don't want to learn more about the occult. It's just never mm-hmm. presented itself. So I thought, what a cool way to get some context. And right after the lecture, I just would have been like, that was interesting info. And he seemed like a pretty sober, level-headed guy. (laughs) And the more we've learned about Travis McHenry, the more of a character he has become. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I am kind of steeped in occult stuff. Yeah? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I feel like it's just sort of permeated my culture to such a degree. And I'm very into like magic mm-hmm. and that borrows from occult theory and occult aesthetics a lot i think of the philosophical research society here mm-hmm. in la and the talks they give which are often about the occult esoterica that sort of thing and i love going there but boy does the information just wash over me like so many words most yeah. of the time well i feel like you i have all these touchstones and involvements with the occult but It's not all connected in my mind. I feel Mm -hmm. like all of this is still kind of disparate. And it's a subject where there's no like central governing body. Definitely. There's no like official voice of the occult that you can kind of rely on. So everybody. I I think that's actually an important feature Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. It's a broad topic and study as well. So anyone you talk to, you just get like some different 
disconnected piece mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have deep familiarity with a lot of the canonical texts. Well, and like the way you usually track a theory is like, okay, well, who came up with that theory? Okay, how'd they test it? Mm-hmm. Give me more information. This has the opposite. Oh, who yeah. came up with that theory? We can't tell you. Oh, What exactly yeah. does that theory consist of? You're not ready for it. Though there are like certain figures, Blavatsky, there's uh, Aleister Crowley, there's Manley P. Hall, who mm-hmm, founded the mm-hmm. Philosophical Research Society you mentioned. And, uh, Jack Parsons. I just read a biography about him recently, and oh, yeah. his connection to L. Ron Hubbard was way deeper than I had pictured mm-hmm. beforehand. Like they were pretty close for a mm-hmm. while. I knew that L. Ron Hubbard had run off with his significant other and then married her, but that's another story for another day. Anyways, big topic and not something that gets too much treatment at the Conscious Life Expo yeah. for all of its breadth. So both of us looking at our schedules are like, oh, let's go to this history of occult magic. And I'll read the description. Okay, sure. From the tombs of ancient Egypt to the tarot deck you read each day, the history of occult magic spans nearly 5,000 years. Learn how ancient texts shaped our modern understanding of astrology, angels and demons, ritual magic, and sigils. One of the foremost respected occultists of the modern era... Travis McHenry has authored numerous beloved titles, including The Occult Tarot, The Angel Tarot, and the upcoming The Hieronymus Bosch Tarot. Oh, yeah, I saw this one. It's pretty. Yeah, uh, I've got to say, I bought the other two that are mentioned here because they are pretty. There you go. Guy produces some pretty tarot. Yeah, and he says on his website that he's brought in a million dollars in revenue on these tarot decks. Since 2017. So they're selling. It worked on me. I bought them. And you'll find multiple places, websites in the back of this tarot accompanying book that label him as widely known as being one of the foremost occultists of the modern era widely known so far i've only heard him say this foremost yeah yeah that's right widely known okay one of the one of yep foremost Foremost. good occultists so okay so we're getting slices of slices here of the modern modern era era. okay Mm -hmm. got it okay one of well i certainly learned new things from him in this talk but i also have a fair amount of skepticism about his synthesis. Mm -hmm. I come away now thinking, okay, well, I've learned sort of his understanding of the occult, Mm -hmm. and he's given me some interesting places to look, but I don't feel like I have like the definitive understanding of the occult. Yeah, and you start to get a full picture of Trav, and you start to wonder what his whole deal is. Yeah, so speaking of pictures of Trav, is McHenry, he was uh, wearing a gray suit jacket with a shirt underneath. Brooks Brothers suit. Oh, he mentioned that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, this is probably not how you picture an occultist uh, in a Brooks Brothers suit. Huh? I didn't know it was a Brooks Brothers jacket. <laughs> now you do. He's a white guy, kind of strongly built, bald head, beard, but with a little bit of salt and pepper starting to enter the beard there. So I would guess he's probably about my age. Okay. Maybe yeah, a little sounds, older. Sounds right. Ross was born in 1982. But many photos of him with a goatee, which feels like kind of the occult requirement. He's also at the gym a lot, and it shows. We'll tell you a lot of things that he's into, but (laughs) one of them is MMA, fighting, Mm -hmm. and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and fitness. Yeah, you've met this guy. Have I? You're the listener. You can picture the type of person we're talking about. You know what Travis McHenry. Oh, goodness. We'll get into it, but I'll just say he kind of like a relentless self-promoter. Seeker of 
claims to fame. He just wants to be able to have all of these little honorifics and uh-huh. things that he can point to that he's done. And he's done a lot. I certainly from the get go was like, oh, this guy seems like, you know, someone who starts his own company and, sure. then, you know, goes to a lot of seminars about it and wants to tell you about his company. And here he is. Telling uh, us about kind his of, company. Yeah, loosely promoting his tarot decks. Yeah, I would say he's a man of many talents, but maybe that's going too far. He's a man of varied interests. Mm, okay. So he introduces himself as an occultist and author. In a practicing ritual magician. And tells us about his tarot decks, which can be purchased downstairs. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I did. And he said he met his publisher here at Conscious Life Expo four yeah. or five years ago. Yes, and then pointed to his publisher. So, yeah, big full circle moment for mm-hmm. him. It was the first of many times he used the word synchronicity. So he's one mm. of our synchronicity fiends. Yes, that's when two things happen at the same time. So first he wants to sort of dispel what occult magic is and isn't. And he says occultism has been sort of a buzzword since the 1950s. And it's just come to be sort of short form for anything satanic or against Christianity or bad, deleterious, you know. Right, but that's not true. That's not true. And, you know, yeah, I'm with him on that. And you might think of the Ouija board in Dungeons and Dragons, but that's not right at all. Mm -hmm. That is also not the occult. So you start to wonder, well, what is the occult? And I'll tell you why you don't know the answer. It's because occult means secret knowledge yeah okay yeah carrie's locked onto that piece of the definition because you asked the question about that later yeah yeah well it becomes a problem yeah sure sure he had a slide where he listed things that are truly occult astrology horoscopes tarot cards ritual magic angels and demons the bible which he said is the Mm -hmm. most occultic text text you can find the torah which is the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, the Kabbalah, and most forms of divination. All of that, he said. Oh, interesting. He didn't say crystals there. He said crystals are occult another time. Oh, okay. Hmm. I guess he'd be willing to add that. But then he had a list of things that are not occult. Heavy metal music, yoga, aromatherapy, Dungeons and Dragons, belief in UFOs, (laughs) Ouija boards, Hmm. New Age religions, Wicca, Satanism, voodoo, the Illuminati, and the last ones from Ouija boards to Illuminati, these are ones that he had found on a list on ChristianAnswers.net of things that are occultic. I wonder if he thinks the Illuminati never existed, which fine, or if he's saying the Illuminati did exist but isn't a cult. I guess he would just say they're aside from occultic history. Their knowledge is not hidden. Seems like it would be inherently Mm, hidden if they mm. exist. I think he's already pointing to a certain kind of historic tradition of a certain set of hidden knowledge, Uh which, yeah, that's where his kind of global definition is going to buck up against what he's picturing as a cult, because I'm sure there's secret knowledge within corporations. Yeah, totally. So I I think you can easily puncture that Mm -hmm. by pointing to other forms of hidden knowledge that don't match this tradition of the occult. Yeah, like you have an affair on your wife and you're like, it's my occult practice. It's secret. Because I'm hiding it from you. (laughs) One thing he told us when he was talking about his own practice of ritual magic is that last Halloween in a ritual, I say this right before Halloween, Mm -hmm. he summoned 
144 entities all at the same time at the stroke of midnight. Yes, and then he said he started at 6 and it went for 5 hours. <laughs> yeah, a lot of and prep then, work. Yeah, but also that's 11 p.m. Yeah, the math didn't quite add up, but, you know, maybe he had a dinner break or something. Maybe. <laughs> just if you're going to make a big deal about the stroke of midnight. But I just thought, okay, how did you count all of these demons? Sure. Entities, rather. Yeah, yeah. No, it was very intense. And considering he has two tarot decks with 72 angels and demons, I'm guessing he just invited the whole group. Probably. And that's how he got 144. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I was less impressed spirits. with that statistic right off the bat. Sure. Didn't take it as a given that he actually consulted with all of them. <laughs> Yeah, now you might be thinking, why was he interested in this topic to begin with? Oh, yeah. Well, he has a background in paranormal research, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about as well. And he said, I, th I think this is a good encapsulation of his modus operandi. He said, my whole life I've been driven by a passion to know things, uncover the next little secret thing along the way. Okay. I kind of get that, you know, yeah, wanting yeah. to figure things out, wanting to find the sure. hidden underbelly of things. Okay. Yeah, no problem there. He's dedicated himself over the past six years to magic and magical studies. So, okay, six years, but yeah. that sounds pretty new to the game to me. Like, oh, mm -hmm. wow, and you're already like a published author on this and giving talk. Okay, six mm -hmm. years. Wow, mm -hmm. that's... You, yeah, I guess it depends on how intense the six years are. Sure, yeah. yeah. You know, if there are more than 10,000 hours in six years. Yeah, or was it six years at Oxford? I want to hear that. Mm -hmm. He told us about one of the most occultic places he's been, which is the Arsenal Library in Paris. Ah, uh, yes. Which is now on my bucket list. I want to go there. So apparently they have a lot of grimoires and original books of magic spells and astrology. So uh, he showed us a picture of himself there with a goatee studying. This was interesting too. He said, full disclosure, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in a creator God, but I do read the Bible every day. Yeah, and that he's very spiritual. Yeah, the more he'll say about this and his consulting with various entities really makes me want to know how he pictures the world functioning. He doesn't believe in a creator God, but clearly he believes in the supernatural on some level. Right. It seems like he sees the world as populated by spirits who are sort of independently acting. And mm. so you can reach out and touch one spirit and just directly talk to them. You don't need to go through this big guy who is God or this big guy who is a priest or this big guy who is Jesus. Just go directly to those spirits and maybe they'll help you. Yeah, it seems like he doesn't accept the traditional kind of hierarchy of demons reporting to Lucifer right, and angels reporting to Father God. And in fact, later he'll say that demons and angels are basically not different, except that the angels have more of a celestial upper vibration, mm. which doesn't mean anything to me if you don't believe in God. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, at one point someone did ask about that and he kind of clarified that Oh, well, you know, angels are just these like kind of higher yeah. level in the sky. But uh, they're basically the same. That's their domain. And yeah, demons just happen to be tied to earth. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. But yeah, he didn't want to say anything about demons being dangerous or evil or doing bad things yeah, or anything he likes like them. that. But the decks that I'm holding right here, the angel tarot and the occult tarot, are corresponding to the classic colors. Like angels are all white and gold and the occult is all black and red, mm -hmm. which is interesting. But I, I did get the sense from him that he's just willing to sort of put out what people want to see or expect. Mm -hmm. 
Like, Mm. even in this little booklet, it felt like he was saying things, the booklet that came with the occult tarot, that he was saying things that were kind of at odds with what he wanted to impart to us at the lecture. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you remember an example? Sure. Like, okay, well, here's, here's a fun one. So he warns you in this occult tarot guide near the beginning... Beware, these cards have been carefully constructed to harness and contain the demon energy. So if you find that using them is too overwhelming or you wish to banish them from your life, it is strongly suggested you leave the deck intact and burn it completely. Ripping or damaging one or all of the cards risks breaking the protective seals and releasing the demons into the world unchecked. Okay. Which... So you have to burn it? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. It's like a flag, like the American flag. <laughs> yeah. If you want to get rid of it at all, you got to completely... Uh, incinerate it. Incinerate it. That just seemed far more kind of like forceful than his lecture. His lecture seemed a little more professorial and like none of this is really dangerous and it's all just about yeah. respect and getting little advantages in life and the right mindset. Yeah, what other thing do you own that you can accidentally unleash so much evil onto the universe by moving and leaving it on your stove? Right, no kidding. So when he says like ripping or damaging one or all of the cards risks breaking the protective seals and releasing the demons, it kind of makes me want to rip one of these lovely cards that I bought. Oh yeah. Just to sort of I guess Yeah, I, you got to. I guess I have to, to now. <laughs> No. I'll do it. I want to do it. You'll rip it too much. All right. Well, let's. You're only going to rip it a little. Well, the it says. Well. It says. I'm going by the wording well. here. I don't like ripping my nice set of cards. Ripping or damaging one or all of the cards risks breaking the protective seal. So, yeah, I think a, a modest rip. We'll do it. Okay, do you want to choose a demon, any demon? Or do you want to like look through them and choose one? You know what? I would like to look through and choose one. No, Let's right. do that for the next hour and a half. Yeah, sure. Carrie's Makes looking through one these. rich, smart, and well-spoken. Well, you don't need that. So there's 72 demons and 72 angels in his... Uh, well, we'll talk about this system. But tarot deck has 78 cards. So he's kind of given you like a bonus six with the names you'd expect to see. And Carrie's shuffling through these. They've got these lovely red foil edges which i'm really into yeah they're pretty oh, it teaches all sciences i can't make you get rid of that oh ah! yeah that's okay yeah does one sound dangerous or something um are there any yeah. are there any in there that uh, kills by drowning and can sink ships okay well let's see i'm I, going on a boat soon you are yeah all right go ahead and rip it well no i think that will unleash her i think it right. will unleash that one and yeah then- well let's do one that'll harm me then I'm not going on a boat anytime okay, soon. Okay, okay. On a seafaring vessel. Okay, I, here I feel, we go. Here we go. I feel like we need to if tempt the fates. If you rip this one, rip this one up, you should be afflicted for many days with wounds full of rot and maggots. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, Sabnock. Uh, cor- Sadnock? Oh. No, Sabnock. Oh, Sabnock. Way different. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Now you have That's to make a sab knock. Knock on someone's door on the Sabbath. I remember. Uh, Come on in. My friend Andrew Brummy in high school once. Uh, we were referring to a car. It was a sob, and he just called it the. <laughs> was hilarious. Okay, so five of swords. So this isn't a real tarot deck because uh, right. you know it doesn't have the traditional characters, but they've at least done you the dignity of putting sort of the equivalent 
title on each card. Yeah, he actually told us that even though these are tarot decks, almost no one uses them as tarot decks. They use them as basically an oracle deck. And I guess we should explain what those are. Yeah. So a tarot deck is this long tradition of using cards with these very specific symbols on them in a very specific pattern to divine someone's past, present, or future. And usually the sitter, the person coming to the tarot card reader, will ask a specific question about something that they've got going on in their life. And then the tarot reader uses their energy to draw cards and tell them what's going to happen or likely to happen or give them advice. An oracle card is basically a deck that's more of a free-for-all. So each card might have something inspiring on it or particular words of ambiguous meaning that now you can figure out how it applies to your life. You might just randomly draw one out of a deck Mm -hmm. and just sort of willy-nilly decide how it applies to you. And there's common characters, so everyone knows about the death card. In the tarot deck, yeah. Yes, returning to the tarot deck. But there's all of these like suits like you would have in cards, but you've got swords and pentacles. So yeah, this just really corresponds in number and then they'll tell you at the top if you want to use it as a tarot deck this happens to be the five of swords but that's where we end then we get the name of the demon sabnok you know it's in a cool kind of medieval looking font and then right underneath it you have in hebrew the name of the ruling angel Mm. so for every one of the 72 demons there's a corresponding angel and he'll talk a little more about this system later on does the angel deck have a corresponding demon for each angel let's double check no it doesn't Interesting. interesting i wonder if he's thinking the people who buy the demon deck are going to be open to the connection to the yeah, angels but the people I, who buy the angel deck may not be open to this demon thing i think you've got it yeah totally yeah because they could say subservient demon yeah, in the same yeah. way uh-huh. and then you've got the number which is the goetic number and the Oh, yeah, the goetic number, absolutely. And then you've got these symbols. I guess the symbols don't change from card to card. We've got like some crescents and triangles and circles. I don't know. It all looks very occult. And then there's a lovely illustration on mm-hmm. each one of the demons. So Sabnok is a... Monkey riding a horse? He's got the head of a lion, okay. but the body of a human wearing mm. medieval armor. They're ready to go jousting. He's got the lance in his hand. He's got a sword. He's got a shield. Yeah, very cool kind of like engraving. And he builds high towers, castles, and cities, afflicts men for many days with wounds full of rot and maggots. And then you have your demon seal. So there's a little illustration at the bottom. Goodness, it's hard to describe. It looks like, hmm. yeah, kind of, oh, gosh. sort of like a mix of this one here, right? Egyptian hieroglyphics, yeah. It kind of reminds me of like a Rube Goldberg machine. It has several places you could turn it that would make the other parts turn. Yeah, it also sort of looks like, a, I don't know, like a wiring diagram, like a uh-huh. 1800s uh, circuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With weird little curly cues hanging off it. Okay, and then in the center you have the summoning sigil. So this is the image that you can create to summon Sabnok. And then there's the Astrologica seal or other seal. So an additional design that corresponds to Sabnok. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and rip it and see if I get afflicted with wounds full of rot and maggots. How do we falsify this? When will you need to get the wounds by? Let's see. Well, today is October 25th. Maybe by the end of the year? Sure. Okay. All right. By the end of 2023. Wounds full of rot and maggots by then. All right. I'm going to rip my card. (laughs) All right. Is that good? Is that enough of a rip? You can rip it as much as you want. Okay. 
I've ripped the card nearly halfway through. Uh, so, all right. The fates have been tempted. Oh, that's okay. I'll put it in the deck for now. Okay, I'm going to put this down for your prediction list for 2023. Oh, sure. The predictor was Travis McHenry's Occult Oracle deck. I'm going to call it one of those. Prediction. Ross will get, what was it? Wounds? Many days of wounds full of rot and maggots. Full of rot and maggots. We have decided Ross has until the end of 2023 to confirm or disconfirm this prediction. That's uh, that's plenty of time. Bring it, Sabnock. There we go. I mean, the maggots part is really makes it very clear. If you don't get a maggot, if you just get a paper cup, <laughs> doesn't count. Nope. Okay, it's got to be eat. festering. Tiny bugs eating your flesh from the inside. Fair. May I draw a card right now? Sure. Thank you. You want a demon or an angel? I'll do an angel. Okay, all right. Uh, pick a card, any card. Okay. Yeah, this one. It's oh, okay. This is the Marie card. Marie. Oh, you know what? This is a Jumbotron. Oh, okay. how did that get in the deck? I don't know. Weird. Boy, Max Fun is so advanced. Oh, but it's for Marie. Yes, it's for Marie, and it's from Maggie. Okay, wait, let's see. Under the illustration, it says, To my love and travel friend, happy 50th trip around the sun. Here's to many more amazing adventures. Oh, that's lovely. All right, well, let's put that back in the deck. Okay, I hope they have more traveling fun. Well, while we're here, yeah, you know, chatting. Oh, I'm hungry after all this chatting. Yeah, I know. Just two friends hanging out, saying stuff they'd normally say. How has your food intake been lately? Pretty good. Yeah. But I got to say that's because I've been eating factor meals. Oh, my God. I have also been eating factor meals here and there. What? Talk about synchronicities. I know. Well, you know, they're America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. And they can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I found I really like taking these to work, putting them in the little shared fridge that Chris and I have in our office. They tell me they've never been frozen. Yeah, I have no evidence that they've been frozen. And I didn't freeze them, so I take them out of the fridge, and then I put them in the microwave. You can also, of course, heat them up in an oven. But what I get is a great meal. Chris always tells me they smell great. Yeah, they're much better than I expected for like a meal that was prepared... For many people Mm -hmm. and came to me, to my home. I'll admit, you hear that and you go, that's not going to be that good. But then you open up Factory and you're like, hey, this is pretty good. Solid meal and a good amount of food too. Yes. I think both you and I were like, whoa, okay, I'm full. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, one of my favorites was the vegetarian tamale bowl. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't have this one. That looks good. Oh, yeah. I was a big fan of this. And it's not all vegetarian. You could choose meat dishes if that's your choice. I Uh, object, but you could. But we ordered the vegetarian options, and uh, they were great. I also had the tangy citrus tofu bowl. Ooh, that one's good, yeah. Uh, It has peas. It's got the tofu. It's got carrots. Edamame. uh, Yeah, and rice. Very yummy. And you'll get... Oh, cauliflower rice. Excuse me. Oh, yes, that's right. I want to get it Which, again, I admit, I hear cauliflower rice, I think, not going to be that good. Guess what? Pretty good. Yeah. 
Solid. You get to choose from at least 35 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that promote a healthy lifestyle, and they meet your meal preference, and they're ready to eat in two minutes. True story. If you have a microwave. Mm -hmm. If you're going to just breathe on it, probably much longer. (laughs) That'll take too long. So if you're feeling like me sometimes or you don't have time to go out and order food and pay the check and get back to work, mm-hmm. maybe you should consider Factor and you can keep your energy up with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers all ready to eat. So head to factormeals.com slash ono50 and use code ono50 to get 50% off. That's code ono 50 at factormeals.com slash ono50 to get 50% off. That's right. Oh my God, Ross, I just noticed your new look. Pretty stylish, aren't I? Wow, there is no merrier way to do it than with Pear's new holiday collection. You're referring to my eyewear. Yes, exactly. You are wearing stunning spectacles of the sunglass variety inside my home and you were definitely doing it before seconds ago thank you and they're very handsome glasses oh yeah super solid i like these i think i mentioned in the previous episode where we talked about these i i like having them kind of with me in the cars i got one in my wife's car i got one in my car then i'm never caught without sunglasses because i'm quite a squinter if you've Mm. seen photos of me i'm usually squinting oh Okay. Trying to uh, protect my eyes from the ravages of UV. Mm. Remember, which we learned in our last episode Was is bad. Uh, you know all of the bad that happens in the world is because, is, of is because of UV. Well, these protect you against UV. That is, if you order uh, sunglasses, you can also get just regular day-to-day glasses, and you can put in your prescription. Yes, and they'll make them custom for you. Do you have trouble seeing far away? Do you have trouble seeing up close? They got glasses for all of that. That's right. There's this an amazing an technology. The entire idea of glasses, <laughs> but also pair. They have these special toppers yes. that magnetize right onto your existing frames. And so then you can change the style up anytime you want to. So this one right here that I'm holding is like the Cosmos. It's a pretty purple skyscape. And so maybe you get a regular pair of glasses with your prescription, and then you've got this snap-on topper uh, that's just ready. It's got a different design, so it changes the look, and maybe it adds sunglasses to your normal glasses. Maybe. Or Depends like, on where you started. Or like me, it intensifies the sunglasses you're already wearing. So now, check me out, Carrie. New set of glasses. Whoa! Double glasses, double sunglass. He's protected. Nothing can harm him. And on a very sunny day, actually, I, I appreciate that. And I mean, if UV is the cause of all evil in the world, you're right. just set with those, right? So. Yeah. Oh, and also they've got a new holiday collection. So. Yeah, this is fun. I'm on the email list now, so I see regularly they have new designs. So you might see one that you're like, "Oh, this is fun and fanciful." All you have to do is just order it as a topper in the style of the glasses you already bought. And it's just a cheap way to essentially have a yet another new design for your pair of glasses. And they have peanuts stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love Snoopy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they have a virtual try-on feature. So the point is you can make every look merry with Pear Eyewear. So go to PearEyewear.com slash OnRack, O-N-R-A-C, for 15% off your first pair. That's pair, P-A-I-R, eyewear.com slash onrack. All this time you thought there were like pictures of pears, but mm, I bet you could get mm-mm. pear eyewear with pears. Yeah, it's very possible. I, if, I if, haven't checked, but they've got a lot of designs. If not, that's our pitch. Think pear. about it. 
<laughs> so the occult, according to Travis, started with ancient Persia, Egypt, and Judaism. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of his tradition of secret knowledge that he would call occult. All began with these three old religions from the Levant, if you will. And it started with the library at Alexandria. Yes. The, all of these knowledges starting to come together and early occultists trying to find ways to sort of syncretize these and say, oh, you have this tradition of knowledge. You have this tradition of knowledge. How do we fit these into one system? Yeah. So scientists, alchemists, priests, magicians, they all came together and, you know, ideally this is a meeting of the minds where everybody mm -hmm. just tweaks their theories to match the rest of knowledge. So he mentioned specifically Hermes Trismegistus, though it was really hard for him to say that. Mm. And I noticed this began sort of like um, a theme where I don't think all of these names roll off of his tongue. Oh, sure. Or, yeah, Which is or many people's. Kind of fair. Right. Yeah. Like, and he called, I think we talked about this in the Ben Carson episode, like, I wasn't sure whether to call Thoth or Thoth mm -hmm. or Toth, because, you know, you hear- The Ben Carson episode? Ben, uh, Billy Carson. Oh, oh, Billy Carson. <laughs> My bad. Okay. Wrong Carson. So everything that's occult today, again, that's astrology, crystals, tarot cards, that kind of stuff. But not Ouija boards. That started here in this period. It started around 285 BC. Yeah. And from what I could tell, like the timelines of what he was saying seemed to align well enough. And he mentioned that this is also around the time where you got the oldest version of the compiled Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He didn't use the word Septuagint, but that's clearly what he was describing. It was all in Greek so that the Greeks could use the Old Testament and have access to it. So Kabbalah comes into the picture mm -hmm. around here. Kabbalah will be very central to the occult as Travis sees it. Right. And he says everything from astrology to the tarot cards involves Kabbalah in some way. It's this really a core element. Interesting. Yeah. And he mentioned that the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, was getting pushed out of Africa and along the coast towards Spain just kind of following that community as they were sort of kicked out of their kingdoms. So around 1300 to 1700, you get something kind of cool involving Kabbalah, Hermeticism, alchemy, and Christianity commingling, becoming this more codified secret knowledge. Yeah, and I guess now you have the European philosophers who are getting access to this knowledge and like, oh, cool, let's play around with this. And of course, you know, the Inquisition, not wild about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not into it? <laughs> well, if I'm the Inquisition, no. Okay, but you could be excommunicated or burned at the stake. Yes, exactly. Bad, no thanks. But after the Enlightenment, the focus shifted from working with entities to looking at experiments, he says. Mm -hmm. We think, we love experiments. Sure, yeah. But by experiments, he means ritual magic, fraternal societies... Alistair Crowley, the Golden Dawn, mm -hmm. uh, the big names in tarot. All these secret societies rising up. Yes. So I don't quite understand how working with entities gets lost there, but I guess hmm. he's trying to bring that back. Okay. That's okay. That's the implication I draw. So as Ross said, he said, the most occult thing in our culture is the Holy Bible. He reads it every day. But there's something hidden in the Bible behind the words themselves. Mm, right. And, and you had asked a question when he started taking them about, okay, well, you say the Bible is occult, but occult means hidden knowledge. 
the Bible's like the most examined book. Yeah. And theoretically, you know, the, one of the best read books in the world. So how is that hidden knowledge? And he's and like, he oh, said, the- oh, my God, you are so smart. <laughs> he said, oh, Harry, but, wow. But there's so much subtext, things written between the lines and under yeah, the, sub- he, the subtext. He basically made the case that it's a cult because the popular readers actually don't understand it. I, Travis McHenry, <laughs> understand it. Yeah, I've been so working on this for six years. So <laughs> that it's a cult knowledge. And I think he was talking about Bible code kind of stuff, like looking beyond the letters, has their grouped. And oh, oh Ross well, has that, that is precisely where these names of angels and demons uh, come from. Okay, oh good, I'm glad I could sniff that out. And he's going he's gonna to break that down in just a little bit. But this would be an interesting opportunity to mention that he was once a Baptist deacon, but he does not share this information. Yeah, that's interesting. Elsewhere, he says he was a Baptist deacon, but then when he lists all the religions that he's been kind of interested in and studied, Christianity is not amongst them, but... You know, or if, is sometimes, but not always. If you are at some point a Baptist deacon and and you read the Bible almost every day, then you know you know something about Christianity. Oh, definitely. I mean, I hear that, and I'm like, oh, you grew up Baptist. You were that for a long time, mm-hmm. probably, and then you went on some spiritual journey that you've started your biography there. When yeah, it was quite a bit before it. And in his beginning, he was an East Coaster of the U.S., mm-hmm. so he lived in Pennsylvania for a while in Virginia. So. Gives you an idea of his whereabouts. Was once into Bigfoot, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) This guy's done so many things. (laughs) We haven't even said, you guys, I swear to God, we have not even said the most interesting thing about Travis McHenry That's right. Yeah. It's coming, (laughs) but we didn't realize it until much later. (laughs) When you hear it, you'll be like, why did we talk about any of this? <laughs> okay, but Satanism, he'll talk about that quite a bit too. Oh yeah, and he says all of these other things in the modern era started getting branded as the occult, and he says his favorite is the Satanic Panic. Yeah, that's his favorite era in modern history is uh, the Satanic Panic. Hard to a blame him for that. Great choice. Fantastic yeah. choice. We're, we're with you, Trav. Moral panics, tell me more. Can we call you Trav? <laughs> we already have. Yeah, he said a lot of things got pulled into the occult that had nothing to do with the occult around the Satanic Panic. He's also going to later mention Damien Eccles, who was uh, one of the West Memphis Three falsely accused of, mm-hmm. of a murder because he was just vaguely witchy. His town couldn't handle that. Speaking of the occult and Satanic Panic, right after we published our episode on the Holy Spirit board, uh-huh. which was the kind of Christian send up of the Ouija board. Then I saw that Bob Larson, of course, oh yes, had weighed in on the Holy Spirit board. So I've got to share that here. Can a Ouija board be used by the Holy Spirit to summon Jesus? A new version of the old seance game says yes. It's currently being offered on Amazon along with more than 30 other versions of the Ouija board demonic conjuring game. The so-called Holy Spirit board claims to answer all of life's most important questions straight from the man himself, close quote. Just put your fingers on the magic cross planchette and the Ouija board Jesus will respond. Players of this ghostly game are assured in the advertising copy that, quote, unlike other spirit boards, this one will never contact evil ghosts or demons so you can ask your questions with an assured sense of safety, end of quote. Yeah, right, pigs can fly. It's not a game, it's witchcraft, biblically forbidden divination, a way to sell your soul to Satan. If you play this game, you'll be talking to the devil, not the son of God. And the answers he'll give will lead your soul straight to hell. 
Oh, Bob. Oh, Bob. <laughs> you don't miss anything, Bob. He certified us. Boy, in that video. That's our boss. You could see, because, you know, I'm pretty sure he's had implants in his hair to fill it out oh, a little huh, bit. Huh. And you could Plugs. see. Yeah, you could see like right in front of that hairline, his skin went from blindingly white to orange. Very orange. And yeah, they, he's doing like the Trump he's thing. He's doing the Trump thing. And but, it's so and it's weird. Not, it's not a tanning bed. It's like I... I smeared something I, I smeared orange something on, my face, on my face. And it ends like at his jawline too. So you can see his like fleshy white skin yeah. on his neck. Yeah. And right above that hairline on a hard line. It's just, okay, Bob. Yeah. Doing the orange fake tan thing. I always wonder then, okay, was the lighting different when you shot it? And so it looked different on your device? Because, mm-hmm. wow, now that it it's stands up on out. my laptop, boy, do I see that. So we gave you the audio experience, but you might want to hunt down that <laughs> video. That's, that's a worse thing. Okay, here. anyway, if you have no idea what just happened, just don't worry about it. So, um, <laughs> so Travis says, there aren't any real satanic groups that drink blood and all of that. In yeah. fact, the closest thing is Christianity. Touche. Where they they're drink drinking blood. blood in communion a little bit of projection there christians is kind of what he's insinuating right you know i'm with him on that too whenever people are like there are no real satanists i'm like don't bother with this because Uh, you will always find examples outlier examples don't do the there are none language this is gonna fuck all of us don't bother with this when somebody pedantic finds isolated people a lot sure like yeah but for the most part i think we mentioned this on the podcast before but someone posted on a twitter or somewhere that the church of satan doesn't actually believe in satan nor does the satanic temple and so Satanists in general don't believe in Lucifer and Satan as a person. Is that true about the Church of Satan? Yeah. Okay. And so someone responded and said, well, then what do you call someone who believes in Satan? The answer was a Christian, uh-huh, which is, uh-huh. I think, for the most part, right on. Sure, sure. Yes, you can but find uh, <laughs> you can find the like, small group out there. Well, there was just that one group. Was it the FBI busted? That was like a child porn ring run by people who said they were into Satan. Oh. It's what they say. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's very small, but the FBI had to bust it up. Great. You know? Yeah. What okay. do we call that then? <laughs> I'm not aware of that. but And then, of course, it confirms all the deepest fears of right. so many groups. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, I think the real lesson is just because someone mentions Satan or the occult or whatever has no bearing on whether they've been violent. It's just an irrelevant detail. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, one of the bigger misunderstandings is that Christians often think that not only do these people exist in great numbers, but that they are performing real magic. Right. And that they can levitate people and right. psychically draw blood and, you know, what have you. I'd love to see any of that happen. My contention is none of that happens. The rules of physics don't get broken by either side. Oh, sure. Tell so- that to my family. So I asked him what he thinks of the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. On your list of things that are sometimes mistaken for the occult, you wrote Satanism. And that made me wonder what you think of those two modern groups, the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. And he said, those groups are not occult at all. They're not based on a tradition that is old. He's like, what? Yeah, the one of them was founded in the 60s and the other in the 90s? Yeah. Referring to the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, respectively. And then an audience member was like, the Satanic Temple is a parody organization. They're not religious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you think Lucian would feel about that? Uh, Lu- Lucian would very much disagree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the Satanic Temple is really interesting because they do a bunch of things that could be taken as pranks, Mm -hmm. but they're also sincere about the beliefs at the center of them. So 
I think I think it kind of throws a wrench into how everybody deals with these kinds of questions. And uh, we're, we're very hung up on sincerity. So what do we do now? Mm, yeah. Look, yeah. folks, it's all messy. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of gray area. So he tells us that the three major elements of doing ritual magic are intonation. Yes. The way that you're speaking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or Stanton Friedman. Yes. yes. Also, your intent. So you can't be like saying something like this. If you don't have the intention to go with that intonation, you're missing part of the equation. And of course, your attitude also tied into this, which seems redundant to me, but okay. Well, with intent, he said, you should also not be trying to do anything bad. Like he said, he got Mm. his boss fired once, but he didn't mean to, it just happened. But he said, I've never once said, I hope my enemy dies. So well, this is his example of good intentions. Good for you as one individual. Yeah. Interesting, though. Yeah, that anecdote about his boss, it seems like he feels that might not have been a coincidence. Right, right. So he tells us about intonation and how there are passages in the Bible that support that. I agree with him that, you know, makes it sound clear that like the way you use your voice can affect supplications to the divine. But also he shared this ancient Coptic text where it said, they will hear your voice and tremble. The stars shall withdraw their shining. So this is an idea that goes way back that you could potentially control a demon with the sound of your voice. Yeah, and he's basically talking about chanting, like chanting the name of a spirit. Mm -hmm. Which is something that's always kind of weirded me out. Like even in the Harry Potter mythos, you have people saying things that are like, Latin or Latin adjacent, like expelliarmus Uh and petrificus totalis, and nature bends around your words. And clearly it's important how you express it because like Hermione Granger has to correct everyone, you know, it's leviosa, not leviosa. And like (laughs) somehow the universe is just ready and waiting like Siri or Alexa, you know, to like hear you say just the right thing the right way in the right language. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is that all baked into the fabric of reality such that you can break the rules of physics with it? That always feels like it goes unexplained. Does it still creep you out? I don't know if even creep is the right word, but it just raises big flags for me. Like, oh, this seems wrong. Oh, yes. Yeah, I agree. Why does the universe speak Latin? Yeah, right. If I say someone's name and they come, that's usually because they're real and know their name. Mm -hmm. So speaking of enunciating names, he now wants us to try this whole intonation thing together. Yeah, this is where it did get creepy for me. Sure. This feels like what all my youth (laughs) pastors were warning me against is showing up at the dang airport hotel and they're, oh, I'm in a Brooks Brothers suit. eh?" And you sit down and they start chanting the names of demons and telling you to join them? No kidding. There are members of my family who, if they could have stuck around this long, not that they would have come to this in the first place, but they would get up and leave the second we started chanting. Even though though the first name we chanted together was Jehovah. Jehovah. Yeah, so he wanted us to break it down. And first, he had us all say it together. And try and let your chest sort of vibrate. Jehovah. Do you 
feel how it rumbles in your chest. And yeah, sure, that is an interest. As vowels do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, yeah, like that is very affecting when you chant in a group anything. Yeah. But then he has us say together. These are the exact same letters that you just saw in Jehovah. Yahweh is the other way to pronounce it. But obviously this one is just not wet. So we'll try and vibrate that. Your body will respond differently depending on how you're vibrating. So you could like try pronouncing it slightly different ways, different parts of your body. Yeah. And he said that there are different official pronunciations, but he didn't seem to go through different pronunciations. I found this one review online of his deck by another spiritualist who was just pissed at him for mispronouncing like he had written little pronunciations for some of the demons and she's like no it's not this it's that and she was doing kind of the Hermione thing oh yeah it's Inverness (laughs) she was raking him over the coals for that and saying like I guess what can I say positive about him I guess he's a good businessman (laughs) I can feel that I can feel that from here a lot of digs yeah yeah. that says to me you're selling crap that's all I can say to you Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. It's what people say about Trump when She's they like, like hate Trump. Oh. And they're like, well, I guess he's a savvy businessman. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Some other names we were going to say, Melahale, Chavakia. Mm-hmm. And he said, just feel which one vibrates more. That's meaningful in some way. I came to understand that if you feel a vibration, if you feel a connection to that word, then you have some sort of open door to that spirit. Mm -hmm. And that might mean that the spirit can help you the way that the Catholic saints help those who pray to them. Mm. Or you might be kind of harnessing their personality and becoming more like them. So if I want to go on stage and I'm nervous, I might figure out who's the spirit who embodies courage or show me. Mm-hmm. and intone their name and then I might become more like them. And in these decks that he's put together of both angels and demons, they, they have those little attributions. So each one has a little developed character type, like uh, I'll grab one at random. Like makes people have open sores with maggots in them? That's one. I love, okay. love that kind of guy. I'm grabbing Fenex. And, uh, oh, hey, that's the one that teaches all sciences, performs wonderful nice. poetry. Hey. Okay. Follows all requests with excellence. Ah. Yeah. Oh, Phoenix is oh, my uh, spirit. Glad I didn't ask you to rip demon. that one up. <laughs> yeah. See, another one. Shacks, steals or fetches anything requested, including money and horses. <laughs> oh, wow. Steal me a horse, Shacks. Reveals secret things, brings questionable familiars. Wow. Shacktober. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, Shaquille O'Neal's Halloween party that's in LA every year. So Shacktober. So as Carrie mentioned, yeah, he has us say some of these other angel names. We repeat them together. And then he talks about, like you were saying, like why you might use them. And yeah, it was interesting. Like part of his explanation was making me think, okay, this could be secular, Because you're just sort of saying, this is a way to set your intentions, to look Mm -hmm. at your goals, to kind of evaluate things that are important in your life. All of which, you know, fine, if that's a good tool for you to do that. It reminded me a little bit of our friend Firelight's Mm -hmm. Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft, where he talks about a lot of these little rituals and he has rules that you can follow. And he'll say, you know what, it calls for this, but you can use something around the house that's kind of similar because it's all about the intention. 
And I think both Firelight and Travis, not to compare them any further beyond this particular similarity, would say it could be supernatural or it could be this more kind of just practical thing of like, well, does it work for you? Does it give you the things that you want in your life because you have sort of set your intentions? Mm -hmm. I, I was just getting those kind of similar vibes. And again, I came out of this presentation thinking, oh, pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think some people use tarot to interact with randomness. And if you think that's cool and you know that's what you're doing, great. I don't have a complaint with that. Yeah. To me, that's the same as pulling a card out of a deck because you're in a writing group and the deck says right. kitty cat and then you write a story about a kitty cat. Yeah, or you're acting in improv and you call out to the audience, yeah, where yeah. are we? And they're like, you're... A pineapple hut. Okay, thank you. Absolutely, it's we're just, not a hut. You've yes, stimulated and, creativity. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, why not? Yeah, so, and, and I see Inputs my mind... Inputs to the system. And you see your mind doing it. Like when we've gotten tarot readings and I'm in the middle of something, mm -hmm. emotional, stressful, something that's already dominating my mind. Oh yeah, that's showing up in the cards. And you're going to feel like almost too seen by it. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, yes, I am having a problem with my mother. Oh my God, no, I'm not having a problem with my mother. You know, but it's like the, the person dealing the cards has no idea any of this is going on yeah, inside you. You don't need to do this. They're holding the cards <laughs> thinking like, I didn't say anything about your mom, but okay. <laughs> You do you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, in that way, I think it can kind of show you the background noise in your own mind. And if you mm -hmm. want to use it that way, I got no problem. Mm -hmm. But some people only resort to that description when challenged uh, and are very happy to let you yeah. happen to assume that it's spirits. Right. And that I, doesn't sit well with me. Right. And I feel like I've seen this kind of in my history with the church, where if you really push someone on the efficacy of prayer, they'll be like, well, you know, it's a way to get your intentions right mm -hmm. and to be thinking of not about yourself. And they'll find these very broad kind of secular ways to describe it. But then once they're amongst each other, they'll tell all these miracle healing stories. Right, right. Okay, can I stand up in church and repeat what you just said to me? <laughs> no? Okay, then we have a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair. Speaking of summoning, yeah, he told us about two other summonings. Oh, yes. So one, you mentioned it briefly, it was Halloween 2022 when he summoned the 144 entities. Yes. Five-hour process from 6 p.m. to midnight? That was an <laughs> incredible experience, obviously very draining on him, but when it was over, <laughs> it felt like there was energy coming out of his fingertips. He had done rituals before, but nothing quite like this. And he also said that there was an offering plate on his table, and he had to give some things that would truly be a sacrifice. Yes. <laughs> so it was his favorite whiskey and some salt that he harvested. Really fancy, expensive Egypt. salt. Like, you could sell this for... Yeah, it's worth its weight in gold. Doubt it. But uh, <laughs> Egyptian deities really love salt, and they love grapes and wine, so the whiskey was similar enough. But then he tells us all this. What a great sacrifice it is. And then he says, but you get to consume all the stuff after the ceremony's over. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, big sacrifice. Oh, man, I have to drink this favorite whiskey of mine. <laughs> I guess I'll put this salt on some watermelon and call it a night. Doesn't sound like you really gave up too much there. <laughs> And then the other summoning was in the Nile. Uh, when was he in denial? 
In 2021, he was in denial. Mm -hmm. He was initiated as a priest of Anubis. Yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I don't think you were too wild about what he had to do. Oh, yeah. So to get initiated as a priest of Anubis, you have to prove that you are like Anubis, who was a mummifier. So basically, he's into taxidermy. He's, mm -hmm. he's getting dead animals and stuffing them, and he looks good at preserving them or whatever. But Yes, I have mummified word. many birds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone's going to write to me and tell me how ethical taxidermy is. And I'm sure, sure there's ethical taxidermy, oh, yeah, yeah. but I'm also allowed to think that's weird. You find the bird and it's already dead. Okay, sure, sure. Fine. But still, is that weird? <laughs> yes. Would you yes. do that? Would you do that to a human? No. <laughs> I, I probably have less of a problem with it than you do, but if, I get the argument. If you argument. work for the National History Museum, yeah. okay, you have a pass. Doing something important. If you have a Brooklyn apartment and you have a hawk in it, No. <laughs> <laughs> Becoming a priest of Anubis, again, just one of the many things this guy collects. He had to be initiated with uh, seven passwords. And yes, I can't remember more than two passwords at a time. So I don't know how he did this. Yeah, I don't know if he kept them in lastpass.com or got it. he opened up his Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but apparently he also had to say, My lips are the lips of Anpu. My own throat is the throat of Anubis. But later on he intimated to a woman in the audience who was asking, like, Well, why is this all secret? This isn't consistent with the spirit of the conscious life expo. Yeah, I thought this is a great question. Yeah, yeah. It's all about sharing and getting everyone on the same page and, and raising our vibrational levels and uh, and then your gatekeep she said your gatekeeping yeah. spirituality which I, I thought like that's a great point and how his, secret can the knowledge be here at conscious life expo and it felt like the flavor of his response was well gatekeeping sounds bad so that's not what i'm doing <laughs> right 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 uh you know it needs to be someone has to demonstrate that they really care but really it's not hidden in that sense it's just that you have to go through a process and there are people who i would share these things with and initiate them but of course i would never repeat these seven passwords ever i think he was saying i know you well enough so i would initiate you so yeah, it seems but like not she's the a hanger on yeah. no i think he was saying her. oh really it oh. seemed that way to me oh okay i the vibe i got from him was that he did not like this lady and oh yeah i don't uh, think he oh, liked her either oh but you know i think he was referring to someone who had emailed him asking yes. for something that was kind of special knowledge and he said you know he basically was like you can keep emailing me i brushed her off and, and, and no if... way she's ever getting yeah he said like so what you do is you find someone who has been initiated like me and you know try to make friendship with them and if they mm -hmm. come to trust you then fine mm -hmm. but he's never telling us like okay so who are these existing priests of anubis how'd you get hooked up with them how do we verify any of this was this just you alone in the nile river who was that mm -hmm. is there a photo is there anything about this no, because it's secret knowledge. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> Another category of magic here is sigil magic. So this is used to summon a specific entity. And we talked about how on the cards he has these images associated with the various spirits, entities. Uh, it seems to be his term of art. So he said that like Egyptian hieroglyphics was kind of related to this in an early form of it. He said that a sigil is like a calling card or yeah. someone's mm -hmm. phone number. So if you want to talk to a specific spirit, you kind of have to have their calling card, their sacred number. So you can reproduce this in writing and it will help summon them. And uh, if you buy one of these decks, you'll have all of these sigils. Yeah. So in his angel tarot deck, he has different sigils for different angels you lay them face down, do an invocation, and that angel comes down into your presence. And then he says offhandedly, 
Or that's the idea anyway. Mm -hmm. He also said there's a big debate among occultists and ritual magicians. And that debate centers around the question of, is this stuff all within us? When we do ritual, are we just activating it in ourselves? Or are we actually communicating with some kind of external third party? Right, right. That's kind of that. what felt like a little bit of an evasion to me before, but also just sort of allowing you to have it either way where, oh yeah, this could be actually supernatural or it could just be about changing your inner attitude perspective. Right, which is a neutrality that actually pushes you to one side of the conversation. So he said... Honestly, I don't really care either way. Mm -hmm. All I know is for me, it seems to work. Well, if you don't care either way, then you are absolutely discrediting the scientific view. You're saying, that doesn't interest me. I don't care if things are real. Mm. So you actually have kind of picked a side in that conversation. I also kind of read that as, I might have an opinion on this, but I don't want to sell fewer cards right exactly i don't want to alienate members of the audience and yeah like you say in the end not sell as many cards right i want to allow you to uh feel like you agree with me Mm -hmm. i want to sell cards to all of you and i feel like probably most of the room maybe doesn't resonate with my own personal belief on this right right so i can't link it to that but he said of his cards I'm obviously doing pretty well for myself, so it works for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's sold a million dollars worth of these cards, apparently. Yeah. In five years. And still, even though he was talking about how well he's doing for himself, he did not mention the most interesting thing about him, which we still have not come to. People say not to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Which is why here on Just the Zoo of Us, we judge them by so much more. We rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, taking into consideration each animal's true strengths, like a pigeon's ability to tell a Monet from a Picasso or a polar bear's ability to play basketball. Guest experts like biologists, ecologists, and more join us to share their unique insight into the animal's world. Listen with friends and family of all ages on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Okay, so let's talk about our 72 Kabbalistic angels. Let's. So where did he come up with these? Well, he didn't, but this is, you know, one strain of occultism. You have this passage from Exodus 14, verses 19 through 21, and it's a story of the parting of the Red Sea, or more appropriately translated, the Reed Sea. So if you take that passage in the original Hebrew and then break down the symbols into three-letter combos, then you get 72 names that you can make of just connecting these three letters. This sounds like our spirit board nonsense where we just got a few letters and they were like, oh, that means magic. Okay, so already you're picturing it. Okay, Hebrew going across words and you're just breaking up individual letters and making names out of them. sorry, what was the source text? From Exodus 14. It was a passage about the parting of the the Red or or Reed Sea. So I looked this up and this is referred to as the Shem HaMephorosh. I'm sure I'm butchering that myself. But also he didn't mention this, that when you're doing this, when you're grabbing these three letters at a time, you're reading this as a Bustrafedon which is a word I've not heard in a long time. It's where you read alternatingly. So you like kind of start going left to right. And then on the next line, you go right to left. 
Why are you doing it, though? And how long are your character sets? Like, how long are your lines? Is there no answer to that? I'm just saying that'll change things. Oh, If sure. you change the width of your lines by one character, that, that's yeah. going to affect it if you're going left to right, right to left, left to right. Yeah, and yeah. the human brain's a pattern-seeking machine, as, so that's going to quote-unquote work. But... As far as I can tell, that's completely arbitrary and Bible code-like. Right. We've, uh... we've dipped into the low information zone where we can <laughs> just kind of get random input. Yeah. Uh, much like a, an improv prompt from the audience anyways for the next few days after i read this i had boostrophedon actually i think the article i was reading said boostrophedonically and my brain just kept saying there's a word out there boostrophedonically do you ever think about that ross do you ever think about boostrophedonically <laughs> that's a weird word huh boostros, keep thinking about it boostros, golly. <laughs> hey, golly. My kitty. so that's where the names of the 72 Uh Kabbalistic angels came from. And did he find them? No, no. This was something that... As someone else did. Yeah. So he's just kind of borrowing on this and uh, matching them up with illustrations and putting them in a deck. And then... Well, I don't know if it's secret knowledge, but it certainly is secret. Sure. Well, until now. Until now. So now it's neither. And then you have your 72 Goetic Demons... And uh, so, yeah, there's a book he referenced called The Lesser Key of Solomon. So Solomon is worked into a lot of this so that in the Bible, Solomon, you know, he's a king. He has a lot of wives and concubines. But there's this whole tradition where Solomon kind of got imbued with all of this additional history of wrestling with demons and being this great Mm. mage. My friend Charles lent me The Lesser Key of Solomon, Goetia, the Book of Evil Spirits, which... I've been meaning to read and would have been great to read before uh, this podcast, but I did not. So I guess that's where he got the 72 demons to go with the 72 Kabbalistic angels. So a woman in the audience asked him, well, what made you want to call on demons to begin with? Mm -hmm. How How does one get started on calling for demons? And he says that it all goes back to the Egyptian stars They believed the energy from the star was the spirit. And so he heard about that. And it's just a very different aspect of that. But I've never felt possessed. I don't know. His answer was, I was just like, oh, you don't know where this starts. You would think you'd have such a clean answer for that. You know, so where does this all begin for you? And he's like, ah, something about astrology. and uh." Yeah, there were a number of moments. That was one. Another was a member of the audience that kept trying to educate him on Hebrew. (laughs) Yeah, she knew way more about Hebrew than him. Yeah, and she wanted, you know, fine, she had some interesting additional info, but then it felt like she was trying to hijack the talk a little bit, and he's like, okay, well, that's all very interesting, but, Uh you know, let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, past my pay grade here. As it was, he he ran out of time at the end, had to quickly blow past some things, but yeah, indeed, there were were numerous moments like this that kind of told me, like, yeah, maybe six years hasn't been quite enough for you to be (laughs) a widely renowned expert. One of on the occult. <laughs> yeah, one of the modern. foremost of the modern era. <laughs> yeah, all of this was making me take it with a, a little bit of a, a grain Very of whatever fancy salt. salt. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I should read the passage from Exodus 14, 19 through 21. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. 
And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. So all the names of the angels are hidden in there, which goes to his point of like, well, you know, you think you've read the Bible, but there's way more there. Yeah, if you assume there's way more there, you'll find way more there. True statement. Also, gotta point out, a bunch of the demons that he's summoning will come to you in the form of birds. Yes, that's right. He's had multiple birds visit him and he puts bird seed out uh, on his altar. And he showed us a picture of his altar next to his Lana Del Rey candle and his cards and the salt. Uh, Yeah, bird seeds were also part of this. And he said, usually the birds just come to him spiritually. He doesn't see an actual bird. But one time... He did have a pigeon that ended up in his walkway later that month. Whoa. I can't believe it. A pigeon in your walkway in the same month that you read tarot? Incredible. You know, I think somehow during this lecture, I didn't quite pick up on just his ability to, I don't know, go a little Mike Clellan, where like Uh, he just uh finds connections between things that aren't really there. Until I read his book, okay, which, yeah. okay, I'm going to resist talking about because we don't have enough time uh, before Carrie has her next thing. So I'll save that for next time. But I then I really realized in that book, like, okay, you're a little more prone to false connections uh, okay, or yeah. suspect connections, let's say. Yeah, than, really pattern seeking. Than I had uh, suspected. I should mention when he was talking about all these 72 angels and demons, he produced this master mandala illustration yes the astrology map right yes it is related to that it has like these spokes that radiate outwards and there's 72 spots for individual angels and then for individual demons and of course the angels are on the higher realm and the demons on the lower but then you've got all of these astrological symbols that are connected in this wheel and it's tied to the year but Mm -hmm. there are five days missing that's right so it accounts for 360 degrees and he was talking about how it ties to your astrological signs and everything but you're right like there's five missing days from the year and so he's got a little theory about this so this governs people who are born on where am i march 15th uh march 18 to 22 if i got uh 15 right 15 to 19 i had on my notes oh Hmm, okay. All right, well, somewhere in in March there, Mm -hmm. especially in trouble if you're 18 or 19. Yeah, okay, let's say March 18th and 19th. (laughs) So there's no... um, You don't have an angel or a demon to rule over you. Yeah, so this was my first introduction to Travis's wild theories, Yeah. of which he has many. But in this context, he was saying, oh, I've done all this extra research into this, and Mm. I believe that the Egyptians solved this with the spirit of two tortoises, Mm-hmm. That ruled, totally, o- I'm following. ruled over those days, but that's related to the Latin Tartarus, where the Titans were expelled. Somehow the archangel Uriel was involved in this because he's not invoked anywhere else. Apparently there's an ancient text where he is said to be in charge over Tartarus, so it could be him. Hmm, okay, I-, I just took from it that there are these days that those people born right then... Don't have an angel or a demon. Oh, no. He's working on his own special Travis McHenry trademark theory of what is truly governing those people. Okay. Don't worry. March 18 and 19 birthday listeners. 
Travis McHenry is on your team. This crackerjack thinker is figuring out who your demon is and who your angel is. You're gonna be okay. (laughs) It's written on his slide. Five days with no ruling angel. March 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th. Okay. Yeah, Archangel Uriel, the flame of God. Anyways, he had some very uh, tenuous connections that kind of brought all this together, but... Hey, nothing like a pet theory. So his talk kind of fizzled out after the astrology thing. People were still asking him questions. Lots of questions. Scattered clapping. Yeah. But we needed to leave. But we at least have to tell you the most interesting thing about Travis McHenry. Yeah. So as we were preparing for this episode, I go and I Google the name Travis McHenry. First time I've done it. All I've engaged with is this talk. We start out just like you guys. Yeah. This guy, uh, you know, he hasn't studied the occult too long, but he's got like a good basic framework. Yeah, sure. So I go and I look. And the first thing that comes up is Travis McHenry is... The leader of a micronation. Which <laughs> two means, micronations. Well, at the time, all I knew was one. Okay, yeah, but which yes. means... Well, which is something I'd heard of in concept, but I didn't know this term, that this was a, a hobby. Yeah, so it's a little tiny country. That's where micro comes from, though his is quite sizable landmass-wise. <laughs> but it is where modern people decide they are explorers now, and they are going to claim a small parcel of land that is unclaimed. And he discovered that the biggest chunk of unclaimed land is West Arctica. Yeah, a big radial pizza slice of Antarctica. So there, there's a Wikipedia entry on him. Does it talk about his occultism? No. Does it talk about his paranormal research, which we will tell you about in the next episode? No. But it does talk Baptist about Deacon? Him, no. him being the founder of Micronations, West Antarctica, and Cal Sahara. Yeah, this one's new for me. Which Good. I'm is, glad he's branching out. Yeah, just measured in acres. Yeah, there's this whole community of people who dress up in uh, what look like early 1900s, late 1800s, the clothing style of a monarch or a duke. And in fact, he calls himself the Grand Duke. Wearing the blue suit with the the sash. And all of the little medals on your chest of your various And he is military. He was in in the Navy. Oh my goodness, there's so much more about this guy. (laughs) There is so much to him. Okay, so, all right. Unfortunately, we have to save the rest of this in in a book report. But yeah, we'll at least leave you with that. And I got to say, at first I thought maybe he just wrote his own Wikipedia page. And it does have a flag for maybe not meeting Wikipedia's notability oh. guideline for biographies. Oh, <laughs> that hurts. But when I went into the edit history, I could see, okay, a lot of people have looked at this. And one person pointed out there is no such loophole for him to claim this chunk of Antarctica as uh, his own. Uh, yeah, the UN is not on board with this. <laughs> But we'll tell you more. Okay, all right. So more to come on Travis McHenry. But that was our introduction to him. And I've got these two lovely decks of uh, tarot cards now. And I've just unleashed a demon. Yeah, and you have open wounds on your hands and maggots crawling in them. Just kidding. Oh, I checked. Made me look. look. (laughs) Yeah, I could have been missing that. You never know. (laughs) Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by Victor Figueroa. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our tarot deck 
purchases. Yes, purchases please. And, and lectures. I think I have like seven tarot decks now. This is becoming a problem. <laughs> By going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. We won't use it on tarot decks. We'll use it on investigations. We'll use it on yeah. tickets. We'll use it on books. We'll use it on getting the information to you. Damn straight. You can also support us by telling a friend, playing an episode for someone stuck in your car for a few hours. Even if you don't have anywhere to go. And if you are that friend. Bless you. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> thank you for being Traveling in this down car. the road, probably back again. Your heart mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. You're a pal like and... Uh, confident. Yeah, confident. Yeah, sure, yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a song. <laughs> and remember... It's the final week of Co-Optober. I'm Richard Roby, producer, and I'm here with... KT Wigman, Operations Specialist. To cap off National Co-op Month, we're sharing how worker-owned co-ops can benefit their communities. Read about it in our newsletter or on social media at MaxFunHQ. We're also trying to do our part. We're volunteering at our local food bank this week, and we encourage you to volunteer in your area, too. On Friday, we're announcing the donation that you helped raise in the Post-Max Fun Drive sticker sale, going to five food banks across the U.S. And we want to make sure that you know this is your last chance to get our limited edition Launch Crew merch. Grab a pin, hat, shirt, or hoodie before they disappear at the end of the month. Details on merch, resources for volunteering, and all things Co-Optober can be found at MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Thank you so much for your support and a great Co-Optober. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.